The question is that if the ultimate reality is everywhere, all the time, and nothing different from us, then why is it that we are not able to see it or to, to uh, experience it, to know it here and now? If it is there everywhere, it should be here. If it is there all the time, eternal, it should be now. And if we are told that it is our Buddha nature, always there, not to be developed, not to be grown, not to be produced, but rather to be uncovered, to be discovered, our own Shiva nature, our nature as Brahman, the ultimate reality, as being, awareness, bliss, why should we not be able to uncover it, discover it now and get the benefits straight away? Why should it take 10, 20, 30, 40 years of sitting and watching the breath um, or repeating a mantra for 50 years. So, Advaita Vedanta says, yes, it is always there, always available. In fact, always revealed also. Not really covered. The only covering we say, covering of maya, we often do a disservice to ourselves when we talk about the covering of maya as if it's some kind of um, extraordinary, subtle, mystical covering. It is just that we do not know and we make a mistake. It's we do not know and we make a mistake. Do not know, in Sanskrit, ajnana. And the mistake is called adhyasa, or superimposition. We do not know our real nature as awareness. Somehow it is obscured. We do not know it as awareness and then we make a mistake. The appearances in awareness we take to be our, ourselves. There is a subject which appears, a body-mind, a mind-sensory system working through a body, we take it to be ourselves, naturally. And there is a world of objects out there with which we interact, and thus samsara goes on. That's what's been happening all the time. And yet, the underlying awareness, the background awareness, this open clarity, this luminousness, which is, which is us, to which everything is revealed. That is not so difficult to find. It is, in fact, revealed in every experience. In fact, no experience is possible without it. No experience is possible without it. Since it is not an object, and we are most familiar to in knowing objects, what we see are objects, what we hear are objects, what we smell, taste, touch are objects, what we think about are also objects. Even the thoughts themselves are objects. So we are most familiar with objects. The only problem, the reason why this, our nature as awareness, luminosity, the Atman, is hidden from us, the only problem is, it's not an object. 
That's the only reason. We all know the story of the 10 persons who crossed a river. By now we are familiar with it. And they thought that one of them had drowned in the river. And when they counted, they found only nine. Because each person who counted left himself out. He's counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Where is the tenth person? Oh, tenth person is drowned. See, the existence of the tenth person is hidden. And then the mistake comes. Oh, tenth person is drowned. Mistake depends upon ignorance. The mistake. What is the mistake? Tenth person is drowned. Why does it come? Ignorance. Ignorance about what? Existence of the tenth person. Why is the existence of the tenth person such a mystery? Why is it such a mystery? It's actually a very beautiful parable. Why is it such a mystery? Because all the other nine, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, are objects for the counter. And the tenth person is the subject himself. And so it's very easy to miss. It is very logical to think. There are nine objects. So I'm looking for the tenth person. I have found nine out there as objects. The tenth person should also be an object somewhere there. Can't see, hence drowned. But I am the tenth person, quite different from these objects. That luminosity, that consciousness, it's not an object. So the way to find it, this also gives us a clue, the way to find it. It's hidden in plain sight. Only thing is, it's hidden not as an object. It's hidden because it's, a, it's the pure subject. The way to find it is then, look at all the objects which we think we are and eliminate them to see clearly that we are not them. Once all those mistakes, we think that we are the body, we are the senses and the mind and this person, as we eliminate them one by one in our understanding, the hope is, Tenth person, our real self, the luminosity, the awareness, it will become obvious. It will never become an object. It will never become an object. And thank God, the fourth quarter of the Drig Drishya Viveka says, Drigeva Natu Drishyate. The pure subject, consciousness, Atman, never becomes an object. And thank God it does not become an object. If it became an object, it would be an object to whom? So it is ever the witness, never the witnessed. Ever the subject, never the object. By eliminating all objects, the pure subject should become evident. That's the way. That's the way of Drigdrishya Viveka. Swami Vivekananda said, truth is a corrosive substance of infinite power. Once you hear it, it will continue to work. It may work for some of us, we are lucky, straight away. For others, a little bit. For others, it might not seem to have much of an effect right now, but it will always be there for all of us. So it's good to hear this. What we will do now, many of us we have been following, especially those of us who have been exposed to Advaita Vedanta a lot, you will thoroughly enjoy this. For others, it might seem strange and alien. One thing to do is, as we go through this, don't treat it as a lecture. Treat it as a pointing. I am trying to show something which is right here. And the way to see this is to track your own experience. Just stick with experience. Not thoughts, notions, not conceptions, not even philosophies. Just experience as it is available to you right now. 
we will add to your experience, to our experience, present experience, present experience. Just the teachings, the pointings of Advaita Vedanta. Not as a philosophy. There's a direct pointer to something available to us, which we are... It's not even that we are not seeing it. Vedanta would claim that you are just being obstinate. <laughs> you, are, you are missing it. You are, you are refusing to own up to something that you are seeing. And for that, we are paying a great, great price. The price of samsara. So this experience. Just track it in our own experience. So I will speak not for long. The whole pointing is pretty short actually. And then we will go on to take questions. Questions are very important here. All right. Just follow me. Just watch what I'm doing. Listen carefully and try to see with eyes and with the, with the, with the eye of understanding. So we'll go through two exercises here. Two pointings. These exercises are just pointings. Like I'm showing you see here. Here. See this flower. Just see. At any one point, if you feel, you will feel like closing your eyes and feeling deeply. You can, you're free to do that. Just be relaxed, but aware. See this flower here. Look at the, the yellow color of this flower. Notice one thing. Is this flower an object, a thing outside? And you are seeing a yellow color? Or is there any flower as an object apart from the yellow color? You're seeing a yellow color here, a shape. If you look at the flower carefully, we, we see a shape, particular shape, petals, a kind of um, semi-hemispherical shape and a deep yellow color. So shape and color. The question is, apart from the shape and the color, are you seeing a separate object called flower? Or all that we are seeing is a shape and color? And we name it flower. Very important. I'm asking you, apart from this sensation, you are directly experiencing yellow and a shape. We call it a flower. Apart from this, is there a separate object outside in the world called... That's what we think, actually. We normally think there is an object, flower. Now I am seeing an external object called a flower. But when I ask you, what is it exactly that you're seeing? Literally, you are seeing. You're seeing a patch of yellow in the sunshine with a particular shape. Apart from this color and shape, in your experience, in our experience, there is no object called flower. Very important. This first stage is a very preliminary stage, but extremely important. We are making a very, very radical claim that there is no object called flower apart from your experience. No object called flower in your experience. Apart from your experience of yellow color and shape, all you are actually, correct, 
all you are actually experiencing is yellow color and shape. No, Swami, there is an external object called flower which you are holding, light is bouncing off it, coming to my eyes, and then I'm getting the sensation of yellow color and shape. All that is thought and notion and concept, not in your experience. This is a fact of overwhelming importance. In your experience, there is only yellow color and shape. Stage one, no object apart from the color and the shape. No object called flower. I am no, in my experience, I don't experience anything else. Prove it. Where is the object called flower? I'm ta I've taken away the yellow color and the shape. You can't see yellow color and shape anymore. Where is the object called flower? Yellow color and shape. Deeper. Apart from my seeing, my seeing, I've got my eyes open and seeing. Apart from my seeing of this yellow color and shape, is there any yellow color and shape? Proof? You have to prove it to yourself. Close your eyes for a moment. Close your eyes for a moment right now. Do you see any yellow color and shape? No. You can open your eyes. Lo and behold, the yellow color and shape is back. It is your seeing. Apart from your seeing, you have no experience of a yellow color or shape. What did I say in the first stage? You have no experience of an object called flower apart from seeing a yellow color and this shape. In the second stage, I'm saying, you have, there is no, nothing called yellow color, shape of this flower, apart from your seeing it. The activity of the sense organ, the visual sense, sense organ, that activity, if you stop that, your experience will still continue, but you will not see any yellow color or shape. We have accomplished two things. One, there is no object called flower in your experience. I'm not saying in your worldview, in your conception, in your scientific knowledge, that's a different thing. In your experience, you never experience an object apart from the color and shape. You never see an object apart from color and shape. Step one. Step two, you, there is no color and shape apart from your seeing. Some are looking confused, some are like, of course, go ahead. It's a most simple fact. I'm just appealing to our continuous experience. If you don't see the yellow color and shape, there is no separate thing called yellow color and shape. It's only you're seeing it. And your seeing is nothing apart from you, the awareness. Think about, suppose if it were possible to blank out your awareness, deep coma or anesthesia or something, would there be any seeing? Nothing. There is no seeing apart from the awareness. The awareness alone, a particular modality through certain brain centers and the eyes, that awareness is experienced as seeing. And the seeing is experienced as colors and shapes. And the colors and shapes are thought of, projected as objects. No object apart from color and shape, step one. You have reduced all objects which you are seeing, all seen objects to color and shape. This flower is only 
color, this color and the shape here. Step two, this color and shape are nothing other than the seeing itself. My activity of seeing, the sensory activity of seeing, without that there is no color and shape. It's a simple fact, a truism, a tautology. Absolutely, it's simply and directly true. Close my eyes, no color, no shape. No, no seeing, no color, no shape. There is no such thing as an independent color or shape apart from my seeing. It is only my seeing which is appearing. There's no evidence of anything like that. And apart from awareness, there is no, no possibility of any seeing. It is only the awareness through a certain modality, through a certain channel, it gives you the experience of seeing. Now, I am not denying that it seems that apart from the color and shape, there must be an object called flower which you are holding, Swami. It seems like that. Not only that, it seems like color and shape are something, is there something called color, something called shape, and by seeing is seeing it. It seems like that. This seems like, although it is not there, it seems like that. This is called Jagat Mithya, the falsity of the world. In your experience, no object called flower apart from yellow color and shape. No yellow color and shape apart from your seeing. No seeing apart from awareness. Try it in a short meditative exercise. Look at this. Colors and shapes all around. Are there people, chairs, a hall? It seems to be so. To understand it even more vividly, think about um, your dreams. You see people, places and objects, activities without any ob actual objective people, places or activities. They're only projections in the mind. But you see, it seems to be there. Similarly, all that we are actually seeing, even a physiologist will, you, will tell you that, you're seeing colors and shapes. The eye can see only colors and shapes. Now, these colors and shapes are entirely dependent on my activity of seeing shut your eyes and see that they all disappear. They all disappear. Neither are there any objects in your experience right now which you are seeing, nor are there colors and shapes. And if you imagine that consciousness itself, awareness itself disappears, then the seeing will also go. I am that awareness in which seeing happens. I am that seeing which is experienced as colors and shapes. And then we take it to be actual objects quite external. Although all through and through, all that exists is this pure subject, the awareness. Second, exper second experiment. Now we shall do the same thing with sound. You listen to a sound and I will ask this question, first question, 
we all know that you know there are sound waves which come and then i experience them as sound you know waves but in my own experience apart from the sound which i am hearing do i have any experience of waves outside listen Gently close your eyes. This is done with better with closed eyes. When you hear the sound, attend carefully to it. Is it not only a sound, a particular timbre and tone and loudness and constantly decreasing volume? and fading away apart from that experience of sound is there any evidence of an object called sound outside it a thing called sound no it was only sound once more only sound and this sound apart from my hearing is there any sound absolutely not if i do not hear no sound at all the sound is nothing but the activity of my sensory activity of hearing and the sensory activity of hearing is nothing apart from i the awareness let me repeat that sound experience it that sensation of sound other than that there is no object called sound that sensation of sound other than hearing there is no sensation of sound the sensory activity called hearing other than awareness there is no sensory activity called hearing every bit of hearing is pervaded through and through by awareness once more sound hearing awareness gently open your eyes let's do both of them together did you notice one thing the flower here and the sound here clearly two different things right the seeing and the hearing still different but the awareness the awareness do you think they are different awarenesses same awareness and you which one are you are you a patch of color no swami what are you saying are you a ringing sound no 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 i am the seer of the color i am the hearer of the sound 
correct? Will you agree? I am the hearer of the sound and the seer of the color. And the seeing of the color, it's seeing of the color, is it different from awareness? Can it exist without awareness? No. This hearing of the sound, is it different from awareness? Can it exist apart from the awareness? No. Even a little bit of it? Partly in awareness, partly outside. I'm hearing sound a little bit in awareness, little outside awareness. No, that's ridiculous. I'm seeing color, little bit is in my awareness, little bit outside my awareness, both I'm seeing. No. Whole thing of seeing and hearing are both in awareness. Then what am I? Am I the color? Am I the sound? Am I the hearing? Am I the seeing? Or am I the awareness? What do you think? Awareness. And it's true to say, in my awareness, seeing arises, and in the seeing, color arises, shape arises. In me, the awareness, hearing arises. In the hearing, sound arises. Sound has a beginning. And an end. Hearing has a beginning and an end. But does the awareness have a beginning and an end? Before the sound started, was there awareness? Now is there awareness there now? Is there awareness there now? Is there awareness there now? At the beginning of the sound, there is awareness. During the sound, there is awareness. When the sound fades away, there is awareness. At the beginning of seeing, there is awareness. During the seeing, there is awareness. When the seeing is gone, there is still awareness. Awareness does not arise or disappear. Seeing arises and disappears. Hearing arises and disappears. So does smelling. So does smelling a fragrance. That arises and disappears. So does tasting. Savor the food when you're tasting it. Notice that the taste is nothing other than the experience of the tongue. And the experiencing of the tongue is nothing other than a modality of kind of awareness. That awareness was before the food hit your tongue. That awareness shone upon the tongue doing its work in experiencing the taste of the food. It was filled with that awareness only. And when that experience of the food is gone, the taste is gone, awareness continues as it is. Which one am I? Am I the food? Am I the tongue? Or am I the awareness? Awareness. Am I the flower? Am I the eye? Or am I the awareness? Awareness. Am I the sound or the ear or the awareness? Awareness. But also, this is the beauty, the flower is nothing other than the patch of color and shape. And the patch of color and shape are nothing other than seeing. The seeing is nothing other than awareness. Everything that we see is nothing other than I, the awareness. Everything that we see. 
everything that we hear is nothing other than I, the awareness. You pervade every sound that you hear. Everything that we taste or smell or touch is nothing other than I, the awareness. All objects of this world are pervaded by I, the awareness, by you, the awareness. This awareness, also we call it witness consciousness, which is witnessing all these things. But notice, the things that we witness here, are here. The things that we witness, see, hear, smell, taste, touch, they are nothing other than us, the awareness. This whole universe of experience is nothing you other than the, the awareness itself. It is one awareness in seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, also thinking, remembering, desiring, hating, also individual ego, I. That is the same awareness. In that awareness, early in the morning, I pops up. And slowly that I also disappears. Moment to moment and again when we fall asleep. Awareness goes on. That awareness, this one, what we really are, is not the mind. The mind also appears in that awareness. It's as much an instrument as the eyes or the ears. The eyes and the ears are called bahir karan, external instruments. And the mind, intellect, ego and memory, manabuddhi chitta hankara, is called antah karan, inner instrument. Both of them channelize awareness and generate different kinds of experiences. No objective universe apart from the experiences of various sorts. No experience apart from awareness. It is not that experience is happening to you. We normally think we are going through life getting many experiences. Vedanta is saying, Advaita is saying, it's not that experience is happening to you. You are experience. One of the grandest and stunning definitions of Brahman that I found. Anubhava matram param brahma. Experience alone is the, the, the absolute Brahman. Very careful. What do you mean by experience alone? Experience without any separate experiencer and object experienced. That means awareness only. Pure experience is Brahman. Pure experience does not mean experience of pure things. I experience Garrison Institute and this is Brahman. But I experience Broadway that is impure, not Brahman. No, no, not in that way. The essence of experience is awareness. When I say the essence of experience is awareness, are you following from the two, two um, experiences we had of the flower and the sound? Flower experience, what is the essence? Awareness. How? Flower experience is nothing but color and shape. Color and shape are nothing but seeing. And seeing is nothing but awareness. Which part of seeing can be without awareness? Which part of this color and shape can be there without seeing? The entire universe is within us as 
experience, and experience is only uh, awareness shining forth. This experience, this awareness is infinite without limit. So, no, no, Swami, that you are saying right now, but outside this wall, so there's a limit. You can't say everything is in your experience. What is the limit of vision? There, that wall. The wall there, up to there is a limit of vision. But awareness is not limited by the wall because I'm aware of an existence outside the wall. Garrison Institute. So, but that is also in the mind because I've seen it, I have memories of it. There is a vast, vast world out there which I have not seen, I have no memories, I do not know anything about it. How can you say, Swami, that is inside your awareness? That is in my awareness as the vast unknown. As you get entities, objects, places and people from that vast unknown and bring it to my mind through books and news and all, it becomes known to my mind. As you bring them before my eyes, it becomes known to me as seeing or hearing or smelling or tasting or touching. In no case was it outside awareness. Awareness is vast, limitless. So, no, Swami, there is time. You were born at a certain date a few years ago. What about that? Before that was your awareness there? Before and after, past, present, and future, are you aware of them or is past, present, and future aware of you? Are you aware, by the way, I'm aware of the time, don't worry. Are you aware of this or is this aware of you? You are aware of this. This exists in your awareness. Time exists in your awareness. Even the idea there was a time before when I was not born, this body was not there, mind was not functioning and all of that. This whole thing is also in my awareness only. Take a stand as awareness. In I, the awareness. What is the relationship between this vast awareness, limitless awareness and you? I and this awareness are one and the same. I and this awareness are one and the same. Notice also, if I and this limitless awareness are one and the same, then everything is included in this awareness. All beings are included in this awareness. All experiences are included in this awareness. Everybody you know, every person whom you know, your friend, your enemy, so-called, they are all within you, the awareness. They are nothing apart from you, the awareness. You can call them appearances in awareness. But they are nothing apart from you. Every person you know is you, the awareness. Not you, the body. You, the awareness. Every event that you know is you, the awareness. Every creature, every plant and animal, every planet and star, every quark and proton is you, the awareness. Make a distinction between awareness and knowledge. So knowledge is a subset. Some awareness is, as it were, channeled into seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, understanding, remembering. We call that known. And there are objects for that. 
but that knowing and the object we saw, yeah, this one, whether it is something like this or something like this, they are not apart from you, the awareness. There was a question yesterday, day for yesterday, that won't this lead to you know, a disregard for people that I'm all right, I'm Brahman, I don't care about the world. No, it will actually lead to a tremendous sense of inclusivity. Like awareness is like the vast blue sky in which the entire world is included. You are this vastness in which everybody is included. Because they are you, in your awareness alone they are appearing. Is this flower not you, the awareness? Actually experience it as flash of yellow in my seeing. Seeing in me, the awareness. This flash of yellow called flower is nothing but you, the awareness. Appearing in this amazing form before you. In you, the awareness, subject and object appear. The subject identifies itself with mind and sense organs and calls itself Sarva Priyananda. And the object is now identified as flower. But both clearly are in awareness. Which one am I? Am I the flower? No, no, no. I am Sarva Priyananda. Am I Sarva Priyananda or the awareness? The awareness. Experienced as Sarva Priyananda knowing a flower. So, this awareness, once we realize I am this awareness, there is an unconditional love. It may sound like abstract philosophy. Where is unconditional love coming in? It's a complete acceptance of everybody and everything. If it appears in awareness, it cannot be different from you. It must be you. The worst of events, the best of possibilities, happenings, good people, bad people, pleasant, unpleasant, they are nothing other than us, the awareness. This vastness, this is the meaning of Aham Brahmasmi. I, the limitless awareness in which arises seeing, in which arises so-called flower. I, the limitless awareness in which arises hearing, in which arises so-called sound. Our usual way of thinking is, there is a sound, and I am awareness, and I am contacting the sound somehow and experiencing it. That's our way of thinking. So separate world, separate awareness, coming in contact, experiencing it. But if you follow your experience, you will see that they are not separate at all. There is no evidence of a separate world apart from awareness. It is in awareness. The stuff of this universe is awareness. Not that there is an awareness out there. Not that if you pound this table hard enough, you will reduce it into wood chips and wood chips into wood dust and that into awareness. No. It is an appearance in awareness. In that sense, it is awareness. I am that awareness. That is the meaning of Aham Brahmasmi. Aham, I, this consciousness. Brahman, literally the word Brahman means vastness. Awareness, vastness. That's the direct English translation of Aham Brahmasmi. Tattvamasi, the great Mahavakya of the Chandogya Upanishad. That thou art. That awareness thou art. Which one are you? The flower? No, Swami. The seeing of the flower? No, Swami. The awareness in which seeing and flower are arising? Yes. That thou art, Tattvamasi. Pragyanam Brahma, direct. Awareness is Brahman, you see. 
अवेयरनेस इज ब्रह्मन प्रज्ञानम ब्रह्म अयम आत्मा ब्रह्म द ग्रेट महावाक्य फ्रॉम द मांडुक्य उपनिषद अयम आत्मा ब्रह्म दिस वेरी सेल्फ व्हाट इज दिस सेल्फ अवेयरनेस ब्रह्मन इज इन्फिनिट अनलिमिटेड नाउ यू विल सी आई विल मेक वन मोर कमेंट एंड स्टॉप यू विल सी वी हैव approached it in quite a different way from the usual method i teach drigdrishya viveka notice what was done in drigdrishya viveka notice what we did now the difference is very big in drigdrishya viveka what we were doing is we were trying to see what i am not in drigdrishya viveka we're trying to see what i am not this is the process of drigdrishya viveka here is a flower look at the flower and i'm saying rupam drishyam lochanam drik form is seen drishya eyes are the seer lochanam eyes are the seer form is seen what am i supposed to do now notice form is different eyes are different yes this is easier form is changing i see this flower and that flower and that face and that place forms are changing eyes are the same forms are many see same eyes can see so seer and seen are different i am the seer and the seen is different from me the seen is of many types the seer is one the seen keeps changing the seer is unchanging so this is very simple go deeper tad drishyam driktu manasam the eyes become the seen and the mind is the seer what do you mean just blink your eyes when i blink my eyes i'm aware i blinked my eyes eyes become the object and the mind is the knower now by seer i mean knower now and what what am i supposed to understand from this the seer and the seen are different is the mind and the eyes are they different yes the mind is the same but which sees different sense organs the mind is relatively unchanging the sense organs are changing in in many varied ways seer is one seen are many seer and seen are different seer is unchanging the seen are changing go further mind itself are we aware of the mind yes drishya dhivrittaya sakshi i am the witness of my own mind thoughts feelings emotions ideas memories even the ego comes and goes and i am experiencing it who experiences the awareness the seer and seen must be different the awareness must be different from the mind i the awareness and the witness of the mind so the mind is not different is different from me and the seer the awareness never becomes an object drigeva natu drishyate the pure consciousness never becomes an object so it can never be different from me i am it this was the process of drigdrishya viveka what did i do i am not the flower i am not the eyes huh? let's do it this way not the flower the eyes not the eyes the mind not the mind the witness consciousness can i go further not the witness consciousness no you can't first of all the witness consciousness is not an object so you can't make it and separate it from yourself and if you make it an object somehow then who will who is knowing that still that then that must be the witness consciousness so i am the witness consciousness now the problem with this approach is this is easier more direct yeah. 
but this is also incomplete. What you have just done is alienated yourself from the universe. World is apart from me. Body is apart from me. The mind is apart from me. I stand as the pure subject, a light shining upon a separate world. This is Sankhya, not Advaita. After this has been understood, I, the witness consciousness, follow this carefully. How do we make the transition to this final teaching which I gave just now? After we have understood that I am the witness consciousness, apart from the universe, it is true that the objective universe is apart from, you are apart from the objective universe. Drashta is separate from Drishya. It is true. I'm just repeating what I heard a sadhu say in Hindi. I'll tell in Hindi and translate. Drishya drashta se nyara hai. Wo to sach hai. Kabhi aapne socha hai ki the, um, the drashta, he said, drashta drishya se nyara hai, ye to sach hai. Kabhi aapne socha hai, drishya kya drashta se nyara hai? The question is this. It is true that you, the witness, you are apart from what you witness. The, the flower, the eyes, the body-mind. I'm apart from it. But have you ever asked yourself, is the flower and the body-mind and all, is it apart from you? You are separate and different from the entire universe. Yes, absolutely. But have you asked yourself, is the universe separate and different from you? So isn't it the same thing? No. Consider your dreams. You are entirely separate and different from your dreams. How? You existed before your dream came on. You existed during your dream. You exist after your dream has gone. Correct. You are different from the dream. But is the dream different from you? No. Not one bit of the dream is different from you. Not one bit of this universe, this flower or that sound is different from you, the awareness. It is true that water is different from the wave. What do I mean by that? Before the wave, the water was there. During the wave, the water is there. Actually, only water is there. After the wave subsides, what is there? Water. So water must be different from the wave. But is the wave different from water? No. It cannot be. The wave cannot exist without water. Similarly, the wave of this universe is not different from you, the water of consciousness. It's you only. Gold is different from the ornaments. It can be a bar of gold. It doesn't have to be a necklace. It doesn't have to be. Sometimes the gold is a necklace, sometimes the gold is a bracelet, sometimes the gold is an earring. So gold is not an ornament. It can be different ornaments. But are the ornaments different from gold? Can they exist without the gold? No. The ornaments of this universe are not different from the gold that you are the consciousness. That second part was what we did now. Reducing the universe back to you, the witness consciousness. If you can put these two together, you have it. Advaitam, non-duality. And what kind of Advaitam? Not the one we read in the text. Experiential. If you do this, yeah, patch of color. No flower apart from that patch of color and shape. No patch of color and shape apart from seeing. No seeing apart from awareness. All things seen are nothing other than I, the awareness. All things heard 
are nothing apart from I, the awareness. So also all things smelt, tasted, touched, thought, understood, loved, hated, desired. All of those things are nothing apart from I, the awareness. Non-duality, nothing apart, no second reality. No second, non-dual, Advaitam. What is Advaitam? You are Advaitam. You are non-dual. You are this non-dual consciousness. All the time available to us. All you need to do is claim it, notice it. It is so. What practice is necessary? Nothing. No practice. Just like going to the Garrison Institute does not mean that you have to get up and go somewhere actually. You just have to know this is the Garrison Institute. This is Brahman. This is what we are. Choicelessly so. And completely, safely, securely so. Look at the, the result of this. Old age, disease, death, of the appearance called the body, before and during and after, I am. No old age, disease or death for me, the awareness. Depression, unhappiness, misery, of the appearance called the mind. Happy feeling, no, nothing more than like seeing a patch of nice color, like a life, nice flower. Nothing apart from me, the consciousness. Happy feeling, nothing apart from me, the consciousness. Miserable feeling, like seeing some piece of rotten or some, some dirty thing, if you see on the ground, it's an appearance, a patch of color and shape. Similarly, a miserable thought, a painful experience in the mind, disappointment, nothing other than a patch, in, an appearance in me, the consciousness, not affected me at all. Neither life affects me, nor death affects me. Beyond birth, life, or death, am I the awareness. But birth, life, and death are not apart from me, the awareness. They appear in me. I am immortal. I am free. I am immortal and free. I am all-inclusive, therefore unconditional love for all. I am vast and transcendent like the sky, but also immanent in and through everything. Not as slogans, not as rhetoric, directly available now. This is the nature of awareness, this is the real witness consciousness. Now, this is not a practice. If you have understood, if you have followed what was going on, it is not actually a practice. It is a direct pointing to the ever-existing reality. If we wanted truly awaken into Brahmagyana, Am Brahmasmi, if we truly awaken into Am Brahmagyana, what will happen is, this is exactly what we'll recognize. If you can stay here, then this is the state of a Jivan Mukta. You know what is a Jivan Mukta? If we are beginning to get what was, is being said here, imagine this being your natural state, all the time effortlessly. That is a Jivan Mukta, freed while living. It is all the time actually our natural state. It is a strange thing called a confusion created, call it Maya or whatever, or the play of Shiva, that we feel it is something incredible that I have to attain. So actually, this is not a meditation exercise. It's a simple statement of fact. One day, a shift will come. Right now, it feels like a meditation exercise. To whom does it feel like a meditation exercise? To the thinking mind. The mind which thinks of itself as an embodied awareness. To that mind, it feels like a 
tremendous exercise, meditation exercise, to that mind, not to awareness. Awareness is given. And even now, as we do this, if you think about it, it will be uploaded, recorded and uploaded, listen to it again. And you think about it, you will get this a sense of peace, a sense of limitlessness, a sense of deep, lasting contentment will dawn upon us. And even when we are not doing it, in the gaps, when we are busy with the world, we are back to our um, limited awareness, body, mind, and engaging with the world, a fragrance of that infinity will follow us. Until, until, this is not the end, until a permanent shift occurs. Right now we think we are this embodied person who has, somebody put it beautifully, a door, as if it's a door to infinity which has really opened up in front of us. Dare we walk through it into the open sky. This is the, our state now. Soon a shift will come when we are always outside in the open sky in, in infinity. And that becomes our natural state. And to interact with the world, you will have to assume body-mind identity. I, the infinite, in order to interact with you guys, have to pretend to be Bill for a while. This thing called Bill. I'm not making this up. This is in the Panchadashi. Sri Ramakrishna also says, you know, sometimes he would say, this thing, aware of ekhane, this place, aware of the limitless nature, in order to interact within Maya, I limit myself as it were, this thing apart from that and now interact. That's also fun. Swami Vivekananda said, simple phrase, stand on the self. This is standing on the self, owning up to the fact this is there right now. It's perfectly compatible. If you want to follow your breath for the next 20 years, fine, no harm there. You are the infinite awareness, who can stop you? You want to follow your breath for 20 years, repeat Hamsa for 40 years, meditate on Ishta Devata, all those are beautiful things. No, really, I'm, I'm, Sri Ramakrishna put it very beautifully. This is the deepest explanation of his statement, tie the knowledge of Advaita firmly to the, to the hem of your cloth. That means stand on Advaitic knowledge, then do whatever you like, your um, devotion or your service, seva, social action uh, or meditation. You can be a hermit in the mountains, you can be a tremendously active person, being a blessing to society, whatever. You are settled firmly in your nature as awareness. Try to do one thing. I am awareness and everything is an appearance in me. The moment you give physical reality to the world outside, I'll repeat, the moment you give physical reality to the world, there's an external real world outside. You know what will happen? You will immediately be the body. The body will also become real. And then awareness will become an embodied, a feature of this body. Then you will think, okay, how is the brain producing awareness? Hard problem of consciousness. The philosopher Galen Strawson said, there is no hard problem of consciousness. Awareness is ever directly available to us. In awareness, 
matter, body, brain appear. And we have somehow thought matter, body, brain are primary. How is this brain now generating awareness? Hard problem. He said, consciousness is not the hard problem. The hard problem is matter. Why is this appearance coming in awareness? That is the hard problem. <laughs> All right, we'll stop here. One way is to explore this with questions. Let us see. Do we have questions from the Zoom audience? Please tell us some questions. Yes, everybody's resting on the cell. Question. A question from Prasanna. In that awareness, experience comes and goes, hmm. is the question. In that awareness, experience comes and goes. In a manner of speaking, yes. But actually, what comes and goes is the object. Here. Object. That object is also nothing apart from awareness. A better way of putting it is, appearances come and go. In your awareness, here is an appearance. Here it is gone. You had, and you call that experience of flower. Experience of flower has gone. What has gone? That patch of color appeared in you, the awareness, and disappeared in you, the awareness. Experience continues. You experience the flower, and you experience the absence of flower. You experience the sound, and you experience the absence of sound. Has experience stopped? That experience which I'm talking about, which does not stop or begin, that is a limitless experience. It is the same as awareness itself. When you say experiences, then you have tied experience to different objects of experience. That comes and goes. Yes. Remember this beautiful definition. I don't know where I read it. Fantastic definition. Anubhava matram param brahma. The absolute reality is, conscious, is experience alone. Anubhava matram, anubhava experience. Matram literally means just that. Now that just that is a very profound thing. And just that means you exclude a separate object experience, a separate person experiencing, takes, take experience itself. As we saw, apart from this experience of a yellow patch of color, there is no evidence of a separate object called flower then this flower becomes experience only. Yes. One more? Yeah. And then uh, we'll take a question from here. Or no, no questions from here, all are in the self. All right. Uh, we'll come to you. Hmm. Question from Rekha Kalekar. According to Gaudapada, there is no samsara. Then how can there be something to witness? Yes. Therefore, isn't it only the consciousness that it is? All right, number of questions, you have to unpack. Three questions were there. So Rekhaji, I've listened to you carefully. According to Gaurapada, there is no samsara, first. How can there be anything to witness? And isn't it only consciousness that is experiencing itself? Is that the last part? Yes. There is no samsara, yes and no. When is there samsara? When I, the awareness, 
obscuring my own nature as awareness. Somehow I have been thinking so far, I am the mind and this body, here are other body-mind systems, here is a physical world, and somehow I have to survive and make my way in this physical world as long as this I exist as this body-mind system, samsara starts. Samsara starts. I am a limited being. The moment, how am I a limited being? The body is limited. It was born. It is aging. It will die. The mind is limited. It has so many desires. It's subject to happiness and misery. At the drop of a word, Swami Vivekananda said, slave to a good word, slave to a bad word. The moment somebody says something good about me, I feel happy. Be careful. If you feel happy with words of praise, you will feel miserable with criticism. That which has the power to make you happy has the power to make you miserable also. That is samsara. The moment I feel limited, then I want. Limitation, I want. I feel I'm limited in life. I want to live longer and longer, immortal. I feel I know so little. I want to know more and more, the entire library. Limited in knowledge. I feel I'm miserable. I want happiness. Limited in in, uh, in happiness. Limited in existence, limited in knowledge, limited in happiness. Our real nature as awareness is infinite existence. There's no death for that awareness. Is infinite knowledge because every knowledge is in that awareness. There can be no knowledge apart from that. And that awareness is unlimited. That unlimited nature, we just saw, there is no physical boundary to that awareness. Because physical boundaries are in awareness. There is no temporal boundary. Temporal means time. Because time is in awareness. There is no limit of an object outside awareness. Therefore, awareness is without a second object. Advaitam, non-dual. This infinite nature when we realize there is no samsara. Because there is no want anymore. So samsara is in ignorance of our real nature. In that sense it is there. But Gaudapada says in truth there is no samsara. Then what is it that we are experiencing? Second question. Isn't it consciousness experiencing consciousness? Yes, it is true. It has this extraordinary power, we call it maya, to generate names and forms. Nothing apart from consciousness. It's all within you. Not one single person, place, event, animal, bird, particle of matter is apart from you, the consciousness here. Literally, it's you. But this extraordinary thing, it appears to be a vast universe spread out. So this is called the Shakti in, in Kashmiri Shaivism. It is your own Shakti dancing in front of you as this. Abhinava Gupta, the great Kashmiri Shaiva, beautiful phrase. What is this universe ultimately? Tell me the final message. Prakasham prakashate, light is shining. Beautiful. Light shining. That is our life. What do I do? You are that light. What is all this? It's your shining. Gaurapada says the same thing. Why does this, I understand to some extent this awareness business. But why is awareness aware of anything at all? And what are those things that we are aware of? That is the question. So from science, from materialism, Buddhism, Jainism, um, theistic religions, uh, Sankhya, Yoga, Kashmiri Shaivism, Advaita Vedanta, whole range of answers is given. Science will say, matter. You are aware of matter, real things out there. 
Buddhism will say it's all, it's only mind, it's all appearances in the mind, a stream of appearances in the mind. Sankhya says prakriti is there, which appears to you the pure consciousness. And so on. Kashmiri Shaivism says Shiva's Shakti is dancing in front of Shiva. Advaita Vedanta says consciousness has the power of Maya which projects names and forms like this patch of yellow. In consciousness, Advaita Vedanta will say. What Gaudapada says, he even goes beyond this Maya. He says, why talk about such things as Maya? Then what is all this? He says, Devasyesha Swabhavoyam. This is the very nature of the shining one. Who is the shining one? You. You don't say, good for the shining one, but what about poor me? You are shining, but it's misery for me. You are the shining one. Tattvamasi, that thou art. Devasyesha Swabhavoyam. Godapada's final conclusion about this world. It is the very nature of the shining one. It's the very nature of Turiyam to shine as waking, dreaming and deep sleep. It is further compressed by Abhinavagupta who says, Prakasham Prakashate, you are light shining. That is the answer. Yes. We'll come to Bill and then um, Shashank. We'll go there. Yes, Bill. The question is that em empirically we, there may be certain prerequisites to gain this knowledge. Empirically means we see in the lives of spiritual seekers and the textbooks also tell us there are certain prerequisites to gain this knowledge. But logically, he says, he asks, is there really any prerequisite to gaining this knowledge? No. What does Brahman need? What does that unlimited awareness, what disciplines, what diet does it need? What routine does it have to follow? to know itself as light. Nothing. But from that perspective. But notice also, all these spiritual disciplines actually become much easier when you stand as awareness. It's only when we stand as body-mind, it becomes a struggle. Swami Vivekananda says, even from the beginning of your spiritual practice, always make a habit of thinking of yourself as the Atman as this unlimited awareness. That is a practice. What we are talking about today is the culmination, is the actual revelation of everything as I, the awareness. So logically, no, because logically you are that. But it's a game, the Kashmiri Shaivas have put it nicely, it's a game that Shiva plays. Shiva wants to be a worldly person trapped in samsara and misery and wailing and weeping. Then Shiva wants to be a spiritual seeker for many lifetimes seeking and seeking, then Shiva wants to be an enlightened Shiva yogi, and then finally Shiva all over again. Finally Shiva all over again. Shiva is Shiva. <laughs> Sashank. Yes. So what is the question? Why is this, this difference there? True, true, yes. So he's asking about uh, morals, a moral and ethical life. The question was, in the intellectual world, there are very intelligent scientists, philosophers, you know, who may be morally delinquent, and yet they come to some deep understanding of science and mathematics. And, but in the spiritual world, when you try to switch from the object to the subject, the two don't go together. One cannot have an immoral life and yet be highly spiritual. One cannot have an immoral life and yet realize oneself as, as Brahman. Why not? Do you see the question? Why is this so important in spiritual life, moral and ethical? 
The reason is this. What is immorality? What is lack of ethics? It is a greater and greater immersion in materialism. The more and more reality I give, so I'm giving the answer in terms of subject-object, as you said. The more and more reality that I give to that material object in front of me, the more it has the power to tempt me or terrify me. Fear and temptation, this is samsara. And the more I think of myself as a material being, the more I need these things, or the more I'm scared of these things. Nobody does unethical acts, immoral acts, out of pure unselfishness. I'm stealing as my practice of karma yoga. No. My daily practice of karma yoga is to chase and beat these unfortunate people. No. It is because of arrogance and greed or fear and anger, all derived from a deep materiality. I am body-mind. As I said this little while ago, the moment you make this world an external hard reality, you become a body, not awareness. Yeah. Awareness will be there, you will be a body with awareness. Awareness is as simple as thinking that the flower really exists outside me. Moment you say flower exists outside me, what is this? A real separate existing flower. What are you then? Body. Because really, if you are a body, then the flower exists outside you. This is a body as much as you are a body. Then starts samsara. Now, in that material world, a kind of intelligence uh, will work. You can discover truths of science, you can be, one can be a very intelligent economist, philosopher, so on and so forth. But to realize oneself as the pure witness consciousness, one must step away from that materiality. And there, uh, I'm giving a very philosophical answer to your question. There, a rigorous course of uh, ethics and morals is necessary. Notice, ethics and morals is basically curbing our materiality. It is saying no to many things. Yesterday, we were talking about how anger is a kind of, a special kind of problem with its unique properties. And the object of anger is something different. Lust, a special kind of problem with its unique properties. Object of lust is different. Greed, a special kind of um, problem with its own object. So, but, lack of anger, absence of anger, non-violence, absence of greed, absence of lust, they are all of one form only, peace. So, ethics and morals are foundational. They're foundational for civilization, let alone the highest product of civilization, which is spirituality. Yeah. Yes, Jim, then we'll come back to you. Oh, oh Pradibha was there. Jim and Pradibha, then we'll come back to you. Yes. So the question was, Jim's question is, if you really establish yourself in this awareness, I will not even, he said concept of awareness, but it's not even a concept. As this is a reality, more real than this, not a concept. Will, I, will you say this flower is a concept? No, you say it's real. If this is real, then awareness is more real than this. To awareness, this flower is a concept. <laughs> it's an appearance. An appearance is a concept only. Uh, After, if you really establish yourself as I am the awareness, 
then what impulse, what motivation is there to carry on the activities which keep this body-mind going? Why would you continue to exist in this world? Why not just remain as, you know, light shining? <laughs> but that presupposes one thing. I am not the body, but I have the responsibility of keeping this body alive and feeding it and holding a job and paying taxes. So I have just made, stepped away from the body only. No, all of that, I am not. And if I'm not all of that, there is another power which keeps this going. Actually, you know, it is a false ego which thinks I am responsible for this body, mind, at least this body, mind, and I keep things going. No, we don't. The Gita says, Prakritya karmani kriyamanani sarvasha yapashyati tathatmanam akattaram sapashyati. Nature, Prakriti, Maya, God, whatever you call it, is doing everything here. And when you truly appreciate this, you see that you are the non-doer. Akarta, the Atman, the light, is the non-doer. It will go on as long as it needs to go on. It's no Swami, my life will fall apart. Let it fall apart. Very, very soon there will be forces and impulses within which will put your life together. So the light, awareness that you are watching your well-ordered life will be the same awareness watching your well-ordered life fall apart. It will be the same awareness which will get your act together and get your well-ordered life back again as long as it will last. But you are that awareness. No need to interfere with anything in their appearance. You are all of it. Enlightened people actually have their lives much better put together than us. Sometimes they may not seem to, but they are much more fulfilled and they are free of all the tensions which afflict us. You are asking, yes. Yes. The question is that, yes, it's beautiful to think of that all-inclusive awareness like the sky, which includes everybody. But once I feel completely fulfilled, then would there be any motivation to do anything for myself or for the others? After all, the others are, I'm not doing anything for myself. I'm the awareness. I don't need anything. And the others are even less than that. There are only appearances in me, the awareness. Why should I do anything for them? But remember, this all-inclusive sky-like awareness is unconditional love. That's how it will be experienced by the mind of the enlightened person. So, the very natural thing in the mind and the heart of the enlightened person will be an overwhelming compassion for everybody who is there and they are none are different from me. Just as right now we feel we need to do things for this body-mind. Even more than that, we will feel I don't need to do anything for myself. And anything that I can do for others is a very natural expression of my enlightenment. It will come. That's why in Buddhism, so he's sitting right behind me. Uh, two things go together. This um, Mahakaruna, compassion, and Shunyata. The realization of the emptiness of all existence is exactly the same thing I'm talking about. So you're talking about infinite awareness and they're saying it's emptiness. It's the same thing. Notice this infinite awareness we talked about. Isn't it an emptiness? What hard object is there in that awareness? Nothing. What hard subject is there in that awareness? Nobody. Subject, objectless, void, filled with light. 
And the Buddhist, this is Buddhist language, clear light of the void. But this clear light of the void is taught in Tibetan Buddhism, in Mahayana Buddhism also, along with Mahakaruna, the great compassion. So which, which, is the, which is behind the whole Buddha avatara, is an expression of compassion. The Dalai Lama, the room certainly has some vibrations. I'm staying in the room, so they said that Dalai Lama stayed in that room. So there is even the scarf, the tanka scarf, it's, that's still there. So the Dalai Lama, if you see the whole Tibetan Buddhist theory, is the 14th Dalai Lama. Why is this enlightened person coming again and again? Suppose you believe all of that, the 14th time has come, again a human body, again all the troubles and all. And I think few Dalai Lamas have faced more, more trouble than this present one. You know, this terrible thing in uh, politics and all. Why? So the Bodhisattva takes a vow of compassion. I shall work until every sentient being realizes it is one with infinity. Or its own Buddha nature. This, this clear light of the void. Swami Vivekananda says, it may be that I shall see fit to give up this body, but I shall not cease to work. Uh, I shall continue to inspire men everywhere until the whole universe knows that it is one with God, that is one with Brahman. This infinite, endless awareness. So, though it may seem strange, this fulfillment, this expansion, it's a vast expansion beyond the limits of this body-mind. And you don't even care a little bit, but its expression is all... Um, usually, not always, usually it is compassion, usually it is love, usually it is service. Why, say, why did I say not always? Because always, there are no rules for such people, the enlightened beings. Some may just seem to be a madman, some may just seem to be an uh, ascetic in a mountain cave, who knows? Uh, this question is from Anandiji. Pranam Swamiji, you had once explained how Holy Mother transitioned between Paramarthika and Vavaharika levels. Please, could you give us some pointers on that? Transition between Paramarthika and Vavaharika. Uh, from this perspective, no need. The, the Vavaharika transactional empirical is actually collapsed into the Paramarthika. Everything is Paramarthika. Everything is absolute for you. Even when you are Walking and talking and working and helping. Eating. How can eating be absolute reality? Isn't it that, yes, let me keep the awareness aside for the time being and take care of the rice and the dal and, <laughs> and then put it into my mouth. How can I do that if I'm always light shining? But what do you chant? Brahmarpanam brahmavi brahmagnam brahmanahutam don't worry, I know lunch is right there. If you feel hungry, <laughs> we are con conditioned like Pavlov's dogs, you know, the ring of the bell, the chant of the mantra. We, the <laughs> what does that mean? We chant it. So it is from the Vedic sacrifice. Arpana is the wooden spoon, the ladle with which ghee offerings were given into the fire. With, accompanied by the chanting of mantras. The whole thing is now a ritual. The common Vedic ritual of ancient uh, Vedic Indians is now spiritualized. Brahmarpanam, 
that ladle is Brahman, infinite, in our language, infinite light, infinite awareness. Brahma Havi, the ghee is not ghee. Shankaracharya's commentary, I, I recommend that you read. He says, it's not a ladle, it is infinite light. It is not ghee, it is infinite light. Brahma Havi. Brahma Agno, into the fire of Brahman. It is not fire, Shankaracharya says, it is infinite light. It is Brahman. Brahman means infinity. And what kind of infinity? This awareness we are talking about. This infinite awareness, infinite light. Who is doing it? The priest, not a priest. Infinite light. Brahmhevatenagantavyam. They alone will attain, realize themselves as infinite light. Brahma karma samadhina. Who see this infinite light in activities, vivaharika. In all mundane activities, not just meditation, not just retreat, in administration, in driving, in cooking, in study, in service, in politics, in war, in the battlefield of Kurukshetra, who see light and only infinite light, they alone will attain to that infinite, they will realize themselves as infinite light. Yes. So the highest perspective is, the Holy Mother actually does not make a distinction. For her, her entire focus is Sri Ramakrishna, that infinite light. And she sees everybody else, she says, I see it is Sri Ramakrishna alone in the form of all these beings and he alone is suffering. Who is suffering? The Lord alone is suffering in all these beings and so I, I must worship the Lord. And there she, here she does it with food offerings and mantras, there she does it with diksha and advice and blessings and love, same thing. As long as we make a distinction between Paramarthika and Vivaharika, we are still, uh, it is not complete yet. Next question, I'll come to you next. Uh, next question comes from Shobhaji. Swamiji, is attention also one of the Antakkaranas or is it called awareness in, in Advaita? Attention is the focusing of awareness through an effort in the Antakkarana. It actually takes an effort of the mind. It's like a narrow beam. So notice, we can shift our attention. We no notice our attention shifting from thing to thing. When I say, look at this, what am I asking you to do? To attend to this. And that's an action. Where is this action? In awareness, there is no action. It's the action of the mind. So it, the mind focuses on this and it is illuminated by the ever-present awareness. So awareness, attention is an activity of the mind, but it focuses awareness. In another sense, deeper sense, awareness is always attentive. Awareness is always attentive. To whatever is present, we may call it distraction, but that's also an appearance in awareness. Awareness is attending to that. Yeah. Awareness is always attentive. If awareness loses, I'm now joking, partial, only half serious. If awareness loses attention, the universe would disappear. If you do not attend to your dream, what will happen to the dream? You're dreaming. Suppose you say, fall asleep and don't dream anymore. What happened to the dream? Gone. If Brahman does not attend to the dream of the universe, we will all disappear. In a blink, it will all be gone. In an instant. That is called Bhairava Drishti, again in Kashmiri Shaivism. Third eye of the Bhairava opening, Abhinavagupta gives almost terrifying uh, description. 
in the flames, he says, in the flames of Mahabodha, in the, the final flames of the universe. So in the mythology, we know at the end of the universe, the Shiva, the destroyer will come, and the dance of the Tandava, and in the final flames of destruction, the cosmos will disappear. But that is the spiritual meaning, and it can happen right now. What are the final flames of, this is the final flames, enlightenment is seen as the final conflagration, where everything is reduced to awareness. How can I do that now? Sounds dangerous. Aware we not warned about fire hazard? Yeah. Huge hazard. Universe will disappear. What is that? What we did just now? Look at the flower. Nothing other than patch of color. Patch of color is nothing other than seeing. Seeing is nothing other than awareness. Seeing, color, flower have all disappeared now. Awareness alone. And yet, same thing we are seeing. This is called the Mahabodha, the final flames of of conflagration, of the destruction of the universe. Um, Abhinava Gupta uses the term prashama. Prashama means pacification. Pacification of the universe. Yet you go on seeing the same thing. It's pacified. You see it as consciousness only, as awareness only. See it means know it as awareness only. One more. Next one is from Poonamji. The self is pointed out as being perceivable only through pure intellect. How does increasing the sattva in the mind help us in God-realization? Yeah. So tomorrow I will speak about it. How does increasing sattva help us in realizing this? But today uh, we are in a different mood. Dull mind, restless mind, peaceful mind. Dull mind, tamasika mind. Restless mind, rajasika mind. Peaceful mind, sattvika mind. But do one thing. Even for one instant, restless mind will not permit for more than a few instants. Even for one instant, notice that it is a restlessness to, an, to awareness. Is the awareness restless? No. Notice that it is dull. I did not mention it. It is to you the awareness that waking, dreaming, deep sleep appear. What can be more dull than deep sleep? Absolutely dull. You are acquiescent. Dull. Tamasika. That is lit up by the same pure light of awareness which you are right now in the meditation retreat. We are hopefully everybody sattvic. That's why we are losing sattva. We are getting hungry now slowly. <laughs> and so... From this perspective, whatever the mind is, don't worry about trying to make it more sattvic. The direct way is to, even in that restless mind, if it permits you for two seconds also, notice that it is appearing to a non-restless awareness. People have said, in deepest suffering, in deepest misery, unhappiness, disappointment, there is always a sense of witness of something which is not miserable, unhappy or disappointed. Let me see if I can find it. Yesterday, somebody sent to me a piece of literature from, from the existentialist Albert Camus. I'm sure he was not speaking about Gaudapada or Advaita, but if I can find it, it's exactly relevant here. 
Yes, I found it. This is a quote from Albert Camus. In the midst of hate, I found there was within me an invincible love. In the midst of tears, I found there was within me an invincible smile. In the midst of chaos, I found there was within me an invincible calm. I realized through it all that in the midst of winter, I found there was within me an invincible summer. And that makes me happy. For it says, no matter how hard the world pushes against me, within me, there is something stronger, something better, pushing right back. Albert Camus, the existentialist. Yeah. I'm sure he was not writing about Vedanta, but it's an instinct within us. So this is the answer from today's perspective, very high Himalayan perspective. Tomorrow will be more practical when we sum up things. I will speak about disciplines to make the mind more sattvic and helpful for meditation. Yes, good question. Qu question is this. Let me see if I can repeat it back. Um, the Drik Drishya Viveka seems to be uh, easier to separate the subject from the object. But in what we did today, uh, reducing the object back into the subject, so for example, the yellow flower, we are supposed to see it as a patch, and nothing other than the patch. There's no separate flower apart from the patch. And the patch has nothing apart from seeing, and the seeing has nothing apart from awareness, and the awareness seems to be choiceless because always there. And choicelessness also goes with lack of control because uh, choiceless means you don't choose this over that. And yet, I cannot make the yellow patch into a red patch. I cannot. It has appeared as a yellow patch, I must see it. When it appears as a red patch, I must see the red patch. When it appears as sound, I must hear the sound. I cannot convert the sound into a flower, flower into something else. All that degree of freedom is not there. In that case, you say, if that is so, yes, that is so. In that case, how, is, how can I say that these things do not have independent realities, seeing that they have their autonomy, their power, and their certain freedom, certain power over me, uh, the ability to, to make me see this? Doesn't it show that there is a thing outside? Question, have I fairly done this? All right. Now, see. When we follow this up, these are some of the obscurations that come up. One is the obscuration of free will. Another is the obscuration of preference, of obscuration of control. Free will, preference, control, these are deeply associated with myself as a subject. Whether I have those powers or not, I would like to have them. I would like to have freedom to choose. I would like to have some control over things. And, and I have preferences, likes and dislikes. So with the preferences, I would like to exercise my control by power to change things into from the less preferred to the more preferred and so on. 
This is the samsarik subject. It is called a pramata, a knower. Notice how the mind has crept into awareness. Free will. Nobody till now has been able to explain what exactly free will is. Because philosophically it's deeply contradictory. From the perspective of science, which is hard determinism, there can be no free will. In religion, this only way it is reconciled is putting all free will in God's hands. And we surrender ultimate truth. Sri Ramakrishna also says, only God has free will. It is only the samsaric individual, I the person who have a sense of free will and a desire to exercise that free will. Where does the desire come from? A set of likes and dislikes. Where are those likes and dislikes? In the mind. Now, so likes and dislikes, preference, is not in the witness consciousness, it's in the mind. The notion of free will is not in the witness consciousness, it's in the mind. The notion of control, not in the witness consciousness, it's in the mind. Witness consciousness, filtered through the mind, assumes these notions and to some extent tries to exercise free will and power and control and choice. It is not something associated with the witness, control, uh, witness consciousness. Okay, that's number one. Number two, even so, you might argue, still, this appearance seems to be entirely autonomous. Comes and goes. It is independent of the mind in the sense that the mind has no say in many things about this. But, here is the point, Advaita Vedanta sticks only to reality. And the reality is, this thing would not exist without you, the awareness. Its entire existence is dependent on you, the awareness. Its arising is entirely dependent on you, the awareness. Its setting is entirely dependent on you, the awareness. At no point in its brief existence is it at all in any way different from you, the awareness. So, it is not that it is a reality apart from you. No way can it be a reality apart from you. It's a reality, you are the reality of this thing. Still, what about preference? What about control? What about free will? They are in the mind. Preferences, now focus on the preference. The preference itself has no existence from, apart from you, the awareness. Notice, preferences are not hard and fast. They are different from different people, and they are different in your own case also, in your own mind through its evolution, has multiple preferences and continuously changing. But at no point are those preferences anything different from you, the consciousness, you, the witness consciousness. Is no point is the notion of free will, even the actual exercise of the so-called free will, anything different at any point apart from you, the consciousness. It's only the preferences, free will, choice, desire for control, in relation to the appearance, they seem to be interacting. They seem to gain autonomy. There's a fight. Either I will control it, or it's out of my control. But both of them appear and disappear in you. The choiceless awareness. Try to stay with that. Very hard test and pushback is this. One teacher said, Anything that is not there in deep sleep, 
is not worthy of your attention. He says, it is just stuff and nonsense. It is just stuff that you, the divine child, you play the toys you play with, not important. For us, in a state of ignorance, deep sleep is blankness, nothing is there. The only worthwhile thing that is ever there is there in deep sleep as they here right now. The rest of it is that very thing appearing in these ways. That's the whole teaching of Mandukya Upanishad. Waking, wakers, waker and waker's world. Dreamer and dreamer's world. Deep sleeper and deep sleeper's darkness. They all appear and disappear in you, the Thurium. Including the so-called preferences, free will, desire, Control in the waking state. You can see, if you look at it, this vast panorama, how tiny they become. Waking state objects seem to have an autonomy over the waking state perceiver. And there's always a tussle going on. How much of it can I control and how much of it is outside my control? But if you look at it from the Turiya perspective, notice, even in the dream, where subject and object are both imagined inside you, there are certain things which you cannot control or change, or you know, even if your preferences, the preferences, choice, and uh, activity belong to the dream subject. But the actual dreamer is beyond both. It generates both of them, along with its so-called preferences, so-called free will, and all of that. Yeah, and then beyond that is the thurium. Yes. We'll end with this. Is it wrong? Yes. There is a. This is a debate in epistemology. In the very ancient epistemology, it says. So, the determination of the epistemic object depends on the epistemic, the sensor, the instrument. Who determines it? The initial idea might be, flower determines how you see it. But a deeper understanding of vision is, my eyes and sensory system determine what I see of the flower. That's a deeper understanding. It's the same old Zen joke. Flag is moving. No, no, no. Wind is moving. No, no, no. Minds are moving. And finally, no. Tongues are moving too much. You remember the joke? <laughs> All right. On that very Zen note, let us conclude this session. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupa Namastu.